Christ the King Sunday is the New Year's Eve of the liturgical calendar, the last Sunday of the church year. Next week we start all over again with the first Sunday of Advent at Kenilworth Union here. We have been looking at the book of Acts. This is the 11th and final sermon in a series called The Rebirth of the Church, Acts of the Apostles. And for Stewardship Sunday, there's this lovely passage from Acts chapter 4. Now the whole group of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. <clears throat> With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace came upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands and houses sold them and gave the proceeds to the apostles. And it was distributed to those who were in need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, whose name was Joseph. And the apostles had given him the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Joseph sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Just read a book called The 8080 Marriage. And you don't need to read it because the whole point is in the title. 8080 Marriages are the best. The authors suggest that there are essentially three kinds of marriages. In an 8020 marriage, one of the partners is contributing. 80% of the passion and energy and the work of a domestic situation. The 80-20 marriage was a common model for households in the United States since at least World War II. And guess which partner is the 80% partner? 50-50 marriages are better. In 50-50 marriages, the energy and the passion and the work are divided equally. Both partners may have demanding jobs, and so husband and wife think carefully about how to get the laundry done and the meals prepared and the bills paid. 50-50 marriages are better, but they're not the best because 50-50 marriages can become transactional. That is to say, she might be always watching him or vice versa to make sure he's holding up his end of the bar and quick to point it out if he's not. She might say, if he's not going to empty the garbage, Hell if I'm going to empty the dishwasher. He might say, if she's not going to be physically intimate with me, why should I be emotionally intimate with her? 50-50 marriages might be good at equality and fairness, but they're not always so good at grace. In 80-80 marriages, on the other hand, nobody's watching anything. If something needs to get done, both partners rush in to do it. If it's generally his job to prepare dinner, but he has had an exhausting day, she is quick to jump in and take over. In 80-80 marriages, both partners think the other person is giving 80%. These people have, think they have won the lottery when they convince this magical, miraculous person to share their life with them. Each of them thinks the other person is doing 80%. They're both wrong. It's terrible math. You can't have 160% of anything. Love is blind, they say. That's true in an 80-80 marriage. 
Neither of the partners is seeing very clearly. But it's a happy delusion. Love is blind. At my house, I say, love is blonde. (laughs) The 80-80 marriage, it is a happy delusion. Terrible math. But that's just the thing about about love. Love practices a strange arithmetic. Shakespeare has Juliet say to Romeo, My bounty is as boundless as the sea, my love as deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have, because both are infinite. Now think about that for a minute. That can't be true. The more I give, the more I have. Subtraction doesn't equal addition, or does it? Because in God's immoderate math, five loaves and two fishes equals a lavish banquet for 5,000. In God's reckless arithmetic, six stone water jars of common well water at a wedding in Cana become 600 bottles of a rich red Cabernet that the wine spectator would rate at 97. Love's strange arithmetic. But so much for 80-80 marriages. It's Stewardship Sunday, so I want to talk about the 80-80 congregation. In an 80-80 congregation, no contribution of time, talent, and treasure is transactional. That is to say, I don't make my contribution because you've already made your contribution. I don't know whether you've contributed at all. I make my contribution because I love God and I love my church. In an 80-80 congregation, nobody is watching anything. They're too busy doing to waste time watching. In an 80-80 congregation, every member thinks somebody else is doing 80% of the week. And we're all wrong. But it's a happy delusion. Now, the 80-80 calculation doesn't work when you're counting dollars in congregations. Okay? Every American congregation is an 80-20 congregation when you're counting the dollars. In every congregation, 20% of the people are giving 80% of the money. You know, in a flat congregation where the salaries are relatively equitable, that uh, calculation might drop down to 30-70. of the people giving 70% of the dollars. Every American congregation is 70-30, 80-20, and this is because some of the people in every congregation make piles of money, and other people are teachers. And so the guys who come up with these spectacular ideas, like Apple and Microsoft and Berkshire Hathaway, they're used to contributing a disproportionate amount. This is the way it should be. And they don't know, and they don't care, that your pledge is a tiny fraction of their generous number. They don't know and they don't care. They say to themselves, I got lots of money, I got no time, this is how I'm going to help. So the 80-80 calculation isn't about counting dollars. It's an attitude that says if something needs to be done, I can do it. And I will do it. The 80-80 congregation is like that baby Christian congregation in Jerusalem I read about from Acts a moment ago. Luke tells us that there was not one single needy person in that church because those who had gave and those who lacked received. And then Luke 
pauses for a minute in describing that baby Christian church in Jerusalem by just telling us one story. He tells us about a man named Joseph. He's from Cyprus. He's a Cypriot. But nobody knows his name is Joseph. Nobody in that church called him Joseph. They didn't even know that was his name because he kept doing this one thing over and over and over again. He has some real estate. He sells it and gives the money to the church. And apparently he's doing this all the time because he's earned the nickname. Nobody knows his name is Joseph. He's earned the nickname Barnabas. And that's what they call him. And this is the greatest name in the New Testament because Barnabas means son of encouragement. If you know a Barnabas or a Barnaby, rush right over to him and tell him he has the greatest name in the English language because nothing good can happen in any institution or community without a few inconspicuous, unheralded encouragers quietly, almost secretly, pretty much clandestinely doing almost hidden kindnesses behind the scenes so that the celebrated big-shot leaders can get their very spectacular accomplishments completed. Someone from Morgan Stanley called John Sharp the other day and said, my client wants to give you 500 shares of such and such stock. So John looks it up and finds out that 500 shares of this stock is worth about $25,000. So John says to the Morgan Stanley guy, that's great. Who's it from? Whom should I thank? And the Morgan Stanley guy says, I can't tell you that. He wants to stay anonymous. George Wishart, the chair of stewardship, was here at the 830 service. He's sitting over there where Sally is right now. And he is just completely flummoxed by this because George wants to thank everybody multiple times, and he just doesn't know what to do with himself if he's got nobody to thank. Now, that $25,000 gift might be our 10th or 12th or 15th largest gift that we'll receive this year. But that guy does not care that your pledge is a small fraction of that number. He doesn't know, and he doesn't care. He doesn't give generously because you do. He gives generously because he loves God and his church. This is an 80-80 congregation. Nothing's transactional. A member of this congregation makes a generous pledge to the church, to the operating budget, every stewardship Sunday. And then very quickly, he pays it all off. But then, throughout the rest of the year, John Sharp keeps getting these random checks from this family. Maybe once a week, maybe twice a month, random checks of random amounts. Always right around $100. So one week, John might get a check for 78 bucks, and the next week, 105 and then a third check for $97. And so John, after he, John receives about 20 of these checks, he calls this guy up, and he said, you know, you've already fulfilled your pledge. Why do you send us these random checks at random times, all the time, several times a year? And the guy says, whenever my family goes out to dinner to a nice restaurant, I send an equivalent amount to the church. I thought that was such a nice practice. 
you know, in this family, uh, an expensive meal is recreational. It's a pleasant distraction, pleasant diversion, but maybe also in their minds a bit of an extravagance. And so this family sends God an equivalent amount every time they go out. This family's been good friends to Kathy and me since we got here seven years ago. I said to this guy, I said, Barnabas, Barnabas, don't you think your spiritual leader ought to know about something like this? And he says, no, you didn't need to know about that, Bill. Meg Revord, the president of our board, does 80% of the work around. She works full-time for Kenilworth Union Church. I don't know how this is possible. She has a real job. Somebody pays her to be a lawyer. But I don't know how it's possible because she's here all the time. This was true of Ken Harris before Meg and of Bruce Linger before Ken and of Tom Lillard before Bruce and of Linda Kingman before Tom. As far as I know, none of these people say, you know what, this congregation pays a pile of money to the senior minister. Why doesn't he do something? Maybe they say that to themselves, I don't know, but they don't say it publicly, at least as far as I can tell. All these people are members of an 80-80 congregation. Meg Revor does 80% of the work around here, and she thinks somebody else is doing it. She's so deluded. We're all wrong. It's bad math. You can't have 160% of anything. But thank you for your strange arithmetic. Your bounty is as boundless as the sea and your love as deep. The more you give, the more you have, for both are infinite. So thanks and thanks and ever thanks for that strange arithmetic, even to that guy who won't tell us who gave those shares to the church. <laughs>